0: scripture reading this morning is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8 through 14. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews."
1: Good morning. Welcome to Missions Emphasis Day here at Mount Juliet. I'm here on behalf of your committee, your missions committee, to introduce our guest speaker this morning, Aaron Palmer. Aaron comes to us from the Creve Hall congregation here locally in Nashville. He most recently served there as their youth minister. Aaron and his wife, Betsy, and their eight-month-old daughter, Celeste, are about to go to the mission field. Lord willing, they will be making their final preparations to leave in May. Mount Juliet has made a contribution towards their one time expenses to help get them started. And Aaron and Betsy will be meeting with your committee this coming Thursday for us to learn more about their work. Coincidence and happy circumstance brought Aaron and I together here several months ago. Aaron's well prepared for a man of such a young age, he has advanced language training. He has colleagues in the field. He's backed by a mature eldership and congregation with lots of experience in French mission work. We have—I have every confidence in Aaron, and I'm glad that he's here this morning uh, to speak to you. Welcome to Mount Juliet.
2: Good morning. It's good to be here this morning. I want to thank Doug for his kindness shown to me and my family and, and for his kind words just then. I'm sorry that my wife and my daughter couldn't be here this morning. Uh, they definitely wanted to be here. My wife's been struggling with flu this week, and uh, my daughter's not doing too great either, so they're here in spirit. But some of you may remember my wife. Uh, she was actually here at Mount Juliet in 2008. As the girl's intern that summer, and you may be able to pick her out. I'll give you a little bit of help there. Uh, Betsy Frizzell is her maiden name, uh, Palmer, and she's right in between uh, Matt and Macy Collins, who I don't think were an item at that time, um, but now they have two kids. So uh, very, very interesting. Anyway, she she loves this congregation, and loves all of you, and that was my first introduction to hear about. The Mount Juliet Church was from her. And then I've got a few other connections here as well. I've worked for the past couple of years with Philip on the board for Evangelism University and appreciate him so much and his heart for the mission and for evangelism and his leadership there means so much. I also know the the Dedeon family very well, Uh, Stefan and Jody and, and their family, and appreciate them. Of course, we, we bond a lot over the French-speaking world and, and what's going on there. And I met them in Paris, actually, back nine years ago, I think it is now, and uh, love, love their family uh, so much. And then also, this is a picture I wanted to put up. This is a week ago, this Sunday, actually. I was with the Strasbourg Church in eastern France, and uh, on the far uh, right of the photo, Daniel and Tammy Ferreau, who you support, uh, I got to be there with them and some of the members of the church there. Uh, we're going to be an hour south of them in the city of Colmar, uh, trying to help with the church start there. And so they're going to be a big support to us and a huge encouragement as we uh, branch out in this work. So as, as was mentioned by Doug, my family and I are, pre- are preparing for an upcoming move uh, to Colmar, France. France to help establish a new congregation uh, in this area. Here's my family. And uh, this is something that's been coming for us. It's been a long time coming for us for, for quite a while now. And For me, it started back in 2008, and I started to learn French at that time. And as I did, I began to see a little bit the needs in the mission field in French-speaking nations and how, just how small the church was in these parts of the world in 2010, I was able to go to French-speaking Europe and shadow different missionaries there for three months and learn more about what God was doing and what needed to be done. And then this led to an opportunity shortly after Betsy and I married. Uh, we moved to Vervier, Belgium uh, for two years to help direct the study abroad program that Fried Hardeman has there uh, in Vervier. And I'm sure there's been several who have left uh, from Mount Juliet to go and be a part of that program uh, over the past few years. And we really enjoyed that time, got to work directly with students uh, in French-speaking Europe, and also got to see more of the needs of the church in that part of the world. And so uh, throughout all of this, we, we began to see little by little just what was needed as far as the Great Commission goes uh, in Europe and in the French-speaking world, Since that time, we've been at at Creve Hall, and we'll talk about this in a second, the French speaking world. We've been at Creve Hall for the past six years. Four of those years, I've been working with our youth. I just finished that in December. And in two of those years, I was working for French World Outreach, which is based at Creve Hall. It's, It's a ministry that sends French speaking biblical materials to the 40 plus French speaking nations in the world. So it's a huge ministry that supports a lot of different churches throughout the world, and I was involved directly in that. And so through all these experiences, we began to see the needs for the gospel in these areas, and we began to see the vastness of the French people, as you can see in this slide. Forty-plus countries, a language that's spoken on five different continents, and it's the second most studied foreign language in the world, right behind English. So if you were thinking it was just spoken in France and that was all, Hopefully, you've learned uh, differently today. And as we looked at this, we began to see the global reach of this language. There's 600 600 million people living in French-speaking countries. That's a lot of souls. A lot of souls that need to hear the gospel. So you see that number, and then you ask the question, how big is the need in this area? If, If there's that many people... speak this language in different parts of the world. How big is the need for the gospel in these areas? Well, let me show you this slide, and I think this really shows that there's a long way to go in the French-speaking world. I want you to think about our country here in the United States. If you look at our general population, and then you look at how many members of Churches of Christ we have, this is the number that you're going to come up with. About 1 in 240 people in our country are members of the church, New Testament Christians. Now, when you see that number, you think, we have a lot to do, don't we? 239 out of every 240 people are not members of the church. It's a huge mission that we have here in this country to share the gospel with them. But I want you to look at that statistic and then think about the French-speaking world. There's one New Testament Christian for every 44,000 people in the French-speaking world. And that number is even worse in French-speaking Europe. Do you see that discrepancy? Do you see the need for the gospel in this area? So this led us to set our sights on Colmar, a city that has already been the focus of some outreach campaigns. And we were recruited by other missionaries in the French world to think about uh, this opportunity and what God could do in Colmar. And our overseeing congregation uh, is going to be Creve Hall, and we're so thankful for that and appreciate the partnership uh, that we have with them. And one reason that we're so motivated to go and preach in this city and in this country, I think, is illustrated by this uh, slide here. Here you see the country of France. The Population is 67 million currently. Among those 67 million, there's only six churches of Christ. And then among those six congregations, roughly 250 Christians spread between those churches. And so I hope you see the desperate need for the gospel of Christ. And these numbers here that that you see, I think it's hard for these numbers to resonate with us. Living in this country, and especially living in this part of the country, in Middle Tennessee, you know, at one time, I believe there are over 130 congregations in Davidson County alone, which is a great thing. And what a strong area for the Lord's Church in this part of the world. I don't know how many congregations there are in Wilson County. I'm sure there are several. The, congrega- the, the county that I grew up in, Arkansas, Greene County in northeast Arkansas, probably a population of 70 to 80,000. About 20 congregations in that county. So now we're looking at a population of 67 million with less than 250 Christians. I hope you see the need to spread the light in this area. And I think this slide, when I think about this, this is how I feel about the country of France. This is by a guy named John Keith Falconer. And he lived in England in the late 1800s, and he decided to take up learning Arabic. People thought that was strange and odd, but he had a purpose for it. He wanted to share the gospel with those who spoke Arabic. And so he studied, and then he was able to make his way to a place called Yemen, which is not a place you really want to be today. And he lived there for a few years and tried to share the gospel before he contracted an illness at the age of 33, and died. But this is what he said. He said, I have but one candle of life to burn, and I would rather burn it out in a land filled with darkness than in a land flooded with light. I want you to think about that. France is a dark country. However, there's darkness in this country too. There's darkness here in Wilson County. There's darkness all around us, and God is looking for Christians who are ready to stand up and to share his gospel with those in darkness. And so this morning, I want to ask you, are you ready to share the gospel of God? Are you ready to take this gospel to those who need it? You know, this idea of being ready, we talk about this a lot. Uh, we, we mention this every single day we ask this question. Hey, you ready to go to the store? Are you ready to go to school? Are you ready to eat? Are you ready to go to sleep? You fill in the blank, whatever it might be. And being ready in our minds means that, that we are on the brink of no longer sitting in our chair where inertia has taken hold, and we're ready to transition to action. We're ready to do something. We're ready to get up and to act. And so in our lives, we can say that we're ready to do a lot of different things. But how many of us as Christians have ever said, Lord, I am ready to share the gospel? How many of us have said this out loud or maybe just within our hearts? The funny thing about saying we're ready to do this thing, to share the gospel, in comparison with I'm ready to eat, I'm ready to go to sleep, I'm ready to go to school, I'm ready to go to work, whatever it is, is that those things we always get done, don't we? If we're ready to eat, we eat. If we're ready to go to sleep, we go to sleep. If we're ready to go to work, we go to work. But with the sharing of the gospel, the one thing that Jesus actually asks us to do, above all other things, do we actually do it? Do we actually follow through? You know, oftentimes I've sat and listened to the gospel being preached, and I've been touched and moved at my very core by its power, by its simplicity by the way that the message speaks to the heart of every human being. And this gospel offers exactly what human beings are looking for, whether they know it or not, freedom from sin. It offers them freedom from guilt. It offers them purpose right now. It offers offers them a fulfilled life. And when we think about the gospel message in this way, we should all say, yes, Lord, of course, I'm ready to share the gospel. But this morning, I want us to actually examine what we've done. And I want you to just look at yourself, nobody else, and say, have I shared the gospel? Have I sat down with someone and opened up the word of God and shown them the life-changing words of Jesus so that they could discover this good news, so that they discover this pearl of great price? Because for us to continue to say, Lord, I'm ready to share the gospel, but then not to do it, this is a serious offense in the eyes of God. You know, the greatest tragedy for us as a church is not that we would fail in our efforts to share the gospel, but that we would never try. That we would never try to do this. That we would spend our whole lives saying, Lord, I'm ready, but then never act on it. And so I think we can all agree with the great sentiment behind that statement, Lord, I'm ready to share the gospel. But I want to go to text this morning that hopefully is going to help us to stop saying that we're ready and to actually do it. Look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to be there this morning if you're not already there. This was our scripture reading just a few moments ago. And in this passage, we see the heart of Paul. And we see the heart that he has as an evangelist. You know, Paul was a lot of things. He was a great teacher. He was an admonisher. He was an encourager and he was good at all of those things. But what motivated Paul to play all of these roles was his passion for the gospel and sharing it with those who'd never heard it. And this was the very thing that originally established his relationship with the Thessalonian church. And kind of to understand this relationship, you have to think back to Acts 17 and how this church got started. The beginning of the church was pretty dramatic, and there was a lot of persecution that took place from the Jews at the beginning. And those who decided to follow Christ, which were mostly Gentile believers, they were truly all in. They were ready to go with Paul to the death. And after preaching and converting some of these, the Jews, they form a mob, they go to the house of Jason where Paul and Silas are staying. And in Acts 17, verse 6, the Jews refer to Paul and to those who are preaching the word as those who have turned the world upside down. And so undoubtedly, those who were committed to becoming disciples of Jesus at this time, they were ready to die for the Lord if they were called to do so. So these are the events that likely help shape the Thessalonian Christians in their faith and that bond them together with Paul. And this kind of lays the backdrop for what's said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And so starting in verse 1, we see this relationship between Paul and the Thessalonian believers, and we want to look at that this morning. Starting in verse 1 and 2, for you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. If we want to be ready to share the gospel of God, first thing we've got to have is boldness. We have to be totally ready to be bold for the gospel. You know, Paul refers back to this thing that happens in Acts 17 and the conflict that took place with this new congregation, and he talks about the boldness that it took for them. And You know, I'm not sure that we today, living in the 21st century, truly understand the idea of boldness in the New Testament. Our idea of boldness is getting up the courage to walk across the street and ask our neighbor over for dinner and to study the Bible with us. Our idea of boldness is to stand up to a coworker who may be belittling us for our faith in Christ and to defend that. And that's good. We need to do those things. But the first century church needed boldness on an entirely different level. They needed boldness to preach the gospel to those who had the power to put them in prison or to kill them. And Paul knew and understood this all too well since he was on the other side of this persecution at one point. But without the boldness that this first century church possessed, they would not have grown as they did. And Christians emphasize boldness. Think, think back to Acts chapter 4, verse 29, when the, when the Christians gathered together to pray about the imprisonment of Peter and John. What did they pray for? Was it protection? Was it safety? No, they prayed that they would be able to continue to speak the word with all boldness. This is the same spirit that Paul is communicating here in 1 Thessalonians 2. He said, it didn't matter that they had been shamefully treated at Philippi. It didn't matter that they had much conflict in Thessalonica. They were declaring the gospel of God, and they would do so with all boldness. To have boldness, to stare in the face of death, and to preach a message anyway, that must be a beautiful and special message, unlike anything the world has ever seen. Do we hold this gospel dear in the same way? And are we ready to share it with others, no matter the cost? If you're ready to be bold, then you're on your way to being ready to share the gospel of God. Next, if you're ready to share the gospel of God, then you're ready to please God. Then you need to be ready to please God and not man. Look in verse 3 and 4 of chapter 2. It says, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. You know, Paul speaks of his desire to please God in other areas of his writing. And I think this, this idea permeates a lot of the letters that he wrote. And I'm going to tell you right now, that being a God-pleaser instead of a people-pleaser, that's a lot easier said than done. Can I get an amen on that? Okay, thank you. We have some honest people here this morning. I, I, I tend to fall into being a people-pleaser sometimes, and I'm sure there are several of you here that do that. And it's hard if you're a people-pleaser. And we do that for a variety of reasons. Some of us, we just want to be liked by other people. We, we want to be accepted. Uh, some of us just don't like conflict. And we don't want to have arguments or anything like that. But the gospel calls us to share it with people and to put aside our people-pleasing nature and to unapologetically proclaim this truth, to do so in love in a loving spirit, but to proclaim this truth and to not apologize for what it says. Look at the assurance that God gives Paul in this passage. He says, we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. In other words, Paul is saying, God is approved of my work. I don't need to be approved by anybody else. I don't need to please anyone else. If God is pleased with it, that is enough. That is enough. And when you think about it this way, worrying about pleasing people seems to be trivial and of little importance. So if you're ready to please God and to not please man, then you're ready to share the gospel of God. The next thing we need to be ready to have is pure motives as we share the gospel. Look in verse 5 through 7. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So this aspect of Paul's readiness to share the gospel somewhat connects back to what he just said about pleasing God and not man. He says, we didn't come here, Thessalonian church, to to butter you up or to tell you what you want to hear or so that we might gain something from you materially. And he also says they weren't seeking any sort of glory or spotlight for what they did. He says, we came in a spirit of gentleness, just the way that a nursing mother takes care of her child. Have you ever seen the way a mother takes care of her child? Do you remember the way that your mother took care of you? Do you remember any pretext for greed that your mother had as she fed you daily? As she took care of you when you were sick, as she taught you valuable lessons? Do you remember her seeking any sort of recognition for her work as she quietly met your daily needs? Paul says this is the spirit that is needed in a heart of an evangelist. These motives have to dominate our lives. And when it comes to sharing the gospel, we don't have time to make sure that so and so gets credit for this or that so and so gets credit for that. People are dying. And God needs people to step up in a humble way and to minister to souls with a clean and pure conscience before him, seeking no glory or no recognition. If you're seeking such motives, then you're ready to share the gospel of God. I know our time is limited. I'm going to try to go quickly through these last two. If you're ready to share the gospel of God, you need to be ready to invest the time that it takes to share the gospel of God. Look at verse 8 and 9. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. This verse 8 is where we get our title from our lesson today, ready to share the gospel of God. And what we see Paul demonstrating in this passage might be the most important aspect of our readiness to share the gospel. And Paul says, not only was he ready to share the gospel because that's who he was and he was excited about the gospel, but he was also ready to share it with the Thessalonians for a specific reason. And he says why. He says, because he was affectionately desirous of them. He says, they had become very dear to me. Paul says, you know what, Thessalonian church, thinking back on when I first shared the gospel with you, we were definitely eager to do this because we knew you needed it. We knew that you were lost in the sight of God. But there's more to it than that. We were ready to share the gospel with you because we loved you. We got to know you. We had a relationship with you. And in the process, you became very dear to us. And the reason why this one might be the most important for us is because it requires something that we don't really have a lot of, and that's time. Time. Yeah, Lord, you know, I want to share the gospel, but I've got three kids, and they all have three different sporting events at the same time, and I've got to go here and there, and I've got so much going on at work, and, Lord, I've got, I've got my boat that I have to take care of. I have Titan season tickets. I've got this and this and this and this and this, and I just don't have the time. You know, none of those things, all those things I just mentioned are not bad, but too much of any of those things that hinders us from the mission, we need to reexamine our lives and we need to be ready to invest the time that it takes to share the gospel. Do you have the kind of time to invest in a soul to where you could say like Paul, I was affectionately desirous of you and I was ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but my own self because you had become very dear to me. That's the kind of investment in a life that can be messy and that can take time, but it will last for eternity. And then in the fifth place, if we want to be ready to share the gospel of God, we need to be ready to live a holy life. Verse 10 and 12, 10 through 12, say this, "'You are witnesses, and God also, "'how holy and righteous and blameless "'was our conduct toward you, believers.'" For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul had an understanding that for this gospel to carry any weight, this gospel that he was preaching, his life had to match up with what he was saying. He says, night and day he labored among them. He was above reproach in every way. Does that mean he was perfect? No. But because he held himself to a standard of holiness, then his admonitions as a father carried weight. And the way that he treated them as a father in the faith meant something to them. This is the process of holiness that Paul was trying to live out, and he's calling the Thessalonians to it, and he's calling us to it. And so doing these five things that we've mentioned this morning, being bold, pleasing God and not man, having pure motives, investing time, holy living. The result of all these things is seen in verse 13. This is where I want to end this morning. And this is the most important verse of this passage. Verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but is what it really is, the Word of God, which is at work in you believers. What if the church really did that? What if the church really took the Word of God for what it really is? Can you imagine a world like that? Yes, I know that we realize this is the Word of God. This is the revelation that came down from Him. But emotionally and in our spirit, Are we convicted that by this truth that these are the words that God spoke to breathe life into the sinners in this world who are dead? Do we understand that within this page, this is the only true solution for a fulfilled, happy life, to, to solve problems in a broken marriage, to help someone who's riddled with addiction? If the church truly took the word of God for what it really is, and how many more of us would not only stand up and say, I'm ready to share the gospel, but how many more of us would actually get up and do it? I think the church as a whole has this down pat in theory, but in practice is where we struggle. And we have to realize that this isn't a game and that 2,000 years ago, Christ came down to the earth and he looked at the cross and then he looked at you and he said, you're worth it. That's, that's what's on the line here. And so when are we going to be ready to see that sacrifice and to really step up and honor him with our lives as we share the gospel? If you haven't been sharing that message this morning and you want to make a change in your life, then you can do that. And I think all of us can say, I haven't been sharing it the way I ought to. I can do better. And that's why we meet together as a church. We want to encourage each other and build each other up so that we can go out and play the game. And, and bring others to Christ. Or this morning, you may not have ever obeyed the gospel. This gospel, which is the good news that Jesus came down and that he died and was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, 1 Corinthians 15. And if you want to believe in that gospel, believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and to repent, turn the other direction from your sin and start walking towards God, confess the name of Jesus Christ, And then to be plunged into water, immersed, baptized into him for the forgiveness of your sins. We would love for you to do that this morning. If you're ready to do that, do not wait any longer. But come right now as we stand and as we sing.